0: Welcome, ad nauseum listeners, to episode 27. My name is David Noe. I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Dr. Jeff Winkle. How are you, Jeff?
1: I'm feeling really good today, Dave. And you?
0: <laughs> I'm doing well, thanks. Yeah. Spring is on the way. It's in the air here in Michigan.
1: It's got a lot to do with my upbeat mood today. The sun is out. It's uh, It's getting warmer. Man, you can't beat it.
0: Now, this could be a false alarm. Michigan is known to do that. Yes. Lull us into the Cyclops Cave and then whack us (laughs) over the head with a blizzard. It's
1: true. We usually get some kind of second winter.
0: We do. What is the old saying? In like a lamb, out like a lion? I
1: think it's the opposite, isn't it? In like a lion, out like a lamb?
0: No, no, no. Really? March comes in like a a a lamb. lamb
1: But then it gets really angry. Clinging to the
0: underside as it leaves the cave.
1: I've only lived here for 50 years. What do I know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then it goes out like a lion, right? Just ticked off. You get slammed at the end of the month. Yeah. Well, we could talk about weather the entire episode. we
1: could, but we're not going to. Isn't no. that
0: the mark of good friendship? talking about the weather? Well, talking about inane things. Yes. You're absolutely. comfortable enough to just talk about inanities. Uh,
1: exactly right, right. Maybe we should devote a whole episode to inanities. I sometime. think we
0: should do that yeah, if we haven't already. Let's give a shout out here as we get started. This one goes to Mrs. Lucy Ella Foster.
1: Luciella Foster? Who is this? Luciella
0: Foster, one of our loyal listeners. I think the man's name is Mr. Chambers. He sent this along. He said that Luciella taught him Latin at the high school in Harrisburg, Illinois, in the late 60s. And that this woman was such a fantastic Latin teacher that years later, he still remembers the lessons.
1: That's fabulous, right? And she
0: turned 100 years old. Holy smoke. Centenarian this past summer. And so, Lucy Ella, if you are listening, we would like to give you our sincere and heartfelt thanks. Uh, like so many wonderful Latin teachers, you have kept the flame lit, kept yes. the torch lit for many years, so thank you.
1: All right, so this week we are continuing our look at the fantastical adventures of Odysseus, which take place between books 9 and 12. And so today we're focusing on book 10, um, which is made up uh, mostly of uh, what happens on Circe's Island. And so we'll cover a couple of the smaller adventures that lead up to that and then talk about the famous turning into pigs of Odysseus's men and how they get in and out of that jam.
0: Yeah, that's great stuff. So Jeff, you're going to start us out with the opening quote, yes. right? Yes, I am. Let's have it.
1: Yeah. So this is from an author, Madeline Miller, who is a classicist, but wrote a couple of really wonderful versions of ancient myth, The uh, Song of Achilles and and Circe, which is apropos for today.
0: And you're a big fan of Ms. Miller, right? And I am. You like her. I'll,
1: I'll say more about kind of her work when we get down to talking about Circe in particular, but uh, yeah, it, it's really great stuff. And I say that as someone who's really skeptical of of most kind of updatings of myths would tend to be kind of either cheesy or horrible or... Well,
0: I, I thought I was the skeptical one.
1: You, you are, yeah, okay. but I, I join you there. Okay, this, right? great.
0: It's good to have company. So this
1: is a welcome exception to that, right? So this comes from an interview where she's talking about her approach to Circe, and she says, I really wanted Circe's story to mirror the Odyssey. In the Odyssey, there is this longing for nostos, the Greek word for homecoming. Odysseus is searching for his homecoming. Even once he gets to Ithaca... He sort of has to find a way to defeat the suitors and reestablish control over his household and reestablish his relationship to his wife. I think Cersei also spends a lot of the novel in her story longing for Nostos. I wanted her to be looking for her family, her real family, her found family in a sort of home, but she doesn't know where it is. It isn't like Ithaca. It doesn't exist geographically. It's something she has to decide and create. In that sense, I think she has all these qualities, but she doesn't have a community. In order to have those qualities, she has to live entirely alone. So the one thing she still lacks is connection. Hmm, That's really interesting. After having read that novel, and then I reread book 10 in anticipation of this episode, I thought this idea of looking at Cersei is kind of trapped between the world of the gods and the world of men and not really having a home, I thought that's a really interesting lens to apply.
0: Yeah. So you're trying to complexify again, aren't you?
1: Complexify? Yeah. Is that a
0: word? You, you remember the last episode? Yeah. Academics always have to make things complicated. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you're going to have to convince me here because I guess that my view of Circe, as I've read and studied the Odyssey and taught the Odyssey is that Circe is just another trap for Odysseus. She's a witch. Yeah. She's a person who is really out for herself, and Odysseus can't really even have a good friendship with her.
1: I think there's definitely some truth to that, but I think we'll see later on some of the ways that she responds to Odysseus, in particular when Odysseus prepares to leave the island. I think we see Circe a, a bit more complex. Okay. A, and a bit more cordial towards uh, towards Odysseus. She doesn't see him as just another... Pray. Okay. As it were.
0: Yeah. Very good. So today we're going to give the listeners a continued look at Odysseus's flashback with these fantastical adventures. We're going to challenge a little bit the traditional take on Odysseus's heroism. Exactly what kind of a leader is he? One mm-hmm. of the themes we've been developing is that he's very unlike the Aeneas of Virgil's poem. Right. Aeneas has to be the pious one who brings home the whole crew, whereas in the Odyssey, there is a funneling effect. If Odysseus makes it out by himself, then that's success. This makes him a solitary hero. Yes. So when does lying, when does deceit become a liability for the trickster hero? How badly does Odysseus really want to get home? And does Odysseus learn anything from one adventure to the next?
1: Right. And we got into a little bit with this in the Cyclops episode of, you know, should we root for Odysseus? You're kind of more in the camp that the ancient Greek audience would have forgiven Odysseus.
0: No, I'm trying to think like an ancient Greek. Yeah. My approach to the literature is the, the more you can receive it like the original audience did, yeah. the better the experience is going to be.
1: Right. On the whole, I agree with that. But it, I, he does some things that make me just stop. And kind of stagger and i have to wonder that uh you know wouldn't ancient greek audience have said oh yeah well you know that's his right as a as a hero especially kind of his his attitude towards his men the number of his men dwindles very quickly
0: yeah he's quite cavalier he's
1: very cavalier and i think what would an ancient audience have thought of that right yeah all right so before we get into book 10 let's talk a little bit about the end of book nine and wrap up some things that we were talking about last week so Odysseus and his men are leaving the island. The Cyclops is blinded. He's chucking rocks at the ships. Standing
0: on the shore. Yes. Shaking his fist at them.
1: Shaking his uh, his fist. And then Odysseus makes this blunder. Mm-hmm. He has to take credit for it. Right. And so he tells the Cyclops, I'm Odysseus, son of Laertes, king of Ithaca, yeah. et cetera, et cetera.
0: Here's my social security number. I-
1: exactly. My cell phone number, everything. And that's, he gives him exactly what Polyphemus needs to utter a curse.
0: And the curse goes like this, right? From yes. Lombardo? Yes. Can I read that one? Yeah. Would you take that one? All right. I had my say, and he, that is the Cyclops, prayed to Poseidon, stretching his arms out to starry heaven. Hear me, Poseidon, blue-maned earth holder. If you are the father you claim to be, grant that Odysseus, the son of Laertes, may never reach his home on Ithaca. But if he is fated to see his family again and return to his home and own native land, may he come late, having lost all companions in another's ship and find trouble at home.
1: Yeah. Right. So a couple things there, kind of, you know, the rule of curses is that if if you know somebody's real name, then that gives you a, a, some measure of power
0: over Which is them. why we use pseudonyms on the air, right? That's right. Exactly. You're not really Dave. No, no. no of course not. And I'm not really Jeff. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and I love this, kind of the wiggle
1: room in the curse. So, so, of course, we know from the first 200 lines of the Odyssey, Odysseus is fated to come home. Right. Zeus says that's guaranteed.
0: And also, now we finally get at the end of book nine, the explanation for the long, arduous detour. Yes, Exactly. Right. I went out for, you know, a, a coffee and I didn't come back for 10 years. <laughs> That's what <right>. happened?
1: <laughs> exactly right. And it explains to you know, why when we first see Odysseus on Eclipse's Island, he's all alone. All of his men are dead and all of his ships are sunk. But I love this kind of this wiggle room in the, in the curse is that Polyphemus, of course, what he really wants is Odysseus to die. He says, however, if fate doesn't allow that. Let him come home, you know, bereft of absolutely everything.
0: Yes, and find trouble when he's there. Exactly right. So, yeah. no one's picked up the mail for weeks, that kind of thing. <laughs> exactly right. No one shoveled the walk, right? Yep. It's bad news,
1: and so you could lay at Odysseus's feet in some ways all the deaths of his men. Oh, definitely, You're right. It, uh, he is
0: the one who provoked this divine malevolence. Right. Yeah. Poseidon is angry. We finally know why, but it is because Odysseus provoked him.
1: Exactly right. Would you go so far as to say is that the business with the suitors is explained by this moment as well? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well,
0: I think that this is part of Homer's great artistry. For any given significant event in human affairs, there is both a divine and a human explanation. Mm. The divine explanation is Poseidon's fulfilling of this curse because his son, the Cyclops, was blinded. The human motivation is the suitors just want to take Penelope's hand in marriage and they want all of Odysseus' stuff. Right.
1: Yeah, it's both. Absolutely. I think like you were saying in a previous episode, it also kind of explains that to a contemporary mind, the paradox of if you're an oracle pronounces that you're going to do these horrible things, you do those horrible things. It's caused by the gods, but you are still also responsible for them. Yes. Yeah. Double causation.
0: There is a sacrifice that takes place, correct? Yes. Not long after that. Can you read some of that and explain that to us?
1: Sure. So Odysseus is is given by his men the big ram amongst Polyphemus' flock. And again, the Lombardo translation, Odysseus speaking. The veterans gave me the great ram, and I sacrificed it on the shore of the sea to Zeus in the dark clouds, who rules over all. I burnt the thigh pieces, but the god did not accept my sacrifice, brooding over how to destroy all my bent ship and trusty
0: crews. Hmm. Can I can I digress for just a moment yeah, about please. thigh pieces? Yeah, 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 yeah. This is really interesting in the Iliad and the Odyssey. I often have to explain it to students, and it took a while before I understood it myself. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, today those of us who consume meat, we eat the skeletal meat, right? Yes. We eat the flank, the loin, wherever steaks come from. We eat that kind of stuff. Yeah. But the uh, the innards, the the really fatty portions and so forth, those are. Typically not eaten any longer. Right. I don't know if your grandma ever served you tongue or liver or things like that. I never had the pleasure. You escaped all I that. I did. <laughs> My grandmother served all those things. Oh, man. And you know, they used to be delicacies. Yeah. But now we don't eat that kind of stuff. We mostly just eat the skeletal meat. Right. Well, in antiquity, it was kind of the opposite, right? The skeletal meat was good, but the really rich portions were the internal organs and the fat. Eat all the fat, you know, eat the fat and also the other stuff. So in these sacrifices, the fatty portions, the fattiest portions are given to the gods, the innards, Yes. because that's the, the most valued portion. And so they would take the thigh bones, uh, the femur, I guess, and then they would wrap it in fat and internal organs and burn it on the altar, which must have been a terrible, smoky, stinky mess. Right, right. But somehow the gods were pleased with it. This was just an excuse that the Greeks made to, to keep the best stuff to eat for themselves. I, no, well, the gods I, really like this. Yeah, so. Well, you think so, except I think they like the other stuff. You know, you, you can have the steak and so forth after the sacrifice is over, but you, right. don't, you don't get to eat the liver and the spleen and the duodenum and other things that I guess are the precious portions.
1: Zeus loved himself a good yes, duodenum. Yes, he did. <laughs>
0: But what about the significance of the sacrifice for the plot and the development?
1: Well, it it just kind of hangs out there. I wanted to bring it up in this episode just because I think it's such an interesting detail. So so Odysseus mentions that Zeus does not accept the sacrifice. Uh, Return to sender. Return to sender, right? I mean, it raises questions. How does Odysseus
0: know? How on earth could he know that Zeus rejects the sacrifice? Well, there would be some sign, He doesn't mention the sign. There is no mention of signs. But you have to know, right? Everybody knows. The gods communicate with mortals through the flight of birds. Yes, and know, the flashing of lightning. Eagle and... on the left, that's a good sign. Vulture on the right, maybe not so good. Okay. And through the way that the entrails look when you cut the animal open. Yeah. So maybe the, one of the lobes of the liver was quivering wrongly. Odysseus knows, <laughs> mm, not a good sacrifice.
1: Yeah, man, he do not want a quivering lobe going no. in the wrong direction, right? So I guess so. It, 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 but it just, it just kind of hangs out there. It's never explained. And I had meant that there's a really interesting article. maybe i'll I'll uh, we can link to it in the show notes. Are we still doing show notes? we We're a bit behind. but we we'll, are. we'll catch up. I promise okay. to catch up. Uh, the author kind of makes this argument of because Zeus doesn't accept the sacrifice, it's it kind of forces us to look back at the Cyclops scene through a
0: different kind of lens that's so telling us, This is not the success for Odysseus that it might appear. Right, exactly right. That's interesting.
1: Yeah. You know, like I said, I don't want to get into it, into the weeds of of that argument, but I think it's a really wonderful little detail that Homer just throws in there, that if you're paying attention, if you're reading carefully, if you're listening carefully, it makes you think, there's
0: more to this. Well, there's so much artistry in the poem, I'm easily susceptible to such a suggestion. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: So where do we go from here, Winkle? The first
1: place that Odysseus' men wind up after the Cyclops Island is the island of Aeolia. Where they encounter Aeolus. The king of the winds. The king of the winds. And Odysseus receives, uh, Aeolus bags up for
0: him. All the ill winds, the things that would keep him from from home. Is this in a Ziploc or something? I think it's one of those, like a stay fresh pouch. It has to be something that's hermetic, am I correct? It would have to be, right. Because otherwise the winds would leak out. Right, exactly. And when you say a wind bag, we're not talking about politics, are we? No, we're talking about Odysseus. This is an actual bag of winds. This is an actual bag of winds, right. And if all of the winds are in there, except the one that he needs to propel him home, then he's good. He's right? good. He'd be home in... Three hours. Yeah.
1: And so uh, Aeolus bags up these winds for Odysseus and he brings him back to the ship. And here, too, a really, it's a, uh, I always find my, my students, this scene also drives them crazy because Odysseus gets back on the ship and he proceeds to take a nap. And he doesn't tell his men, hey, don't open the bag because it's filled with all these horrible winds. It's not marked somehow it's, with, a, with the, a sharpie or something. <laughs> that the, would have been an excellent idea. Don't open before Christmas. Right. Nothing like that. It's just a big old bag. So why are your students bothered? They're bothered by it because why doesn't Odysseus tell his men, don't open the bag? And of course, his men immediately suspect he's hiding treasure. Mm-hmm. He's keeping this from, uh, from us. And uh, their curiosity gets the better of them. It's ki- it's a kind of Pandora's jar, Pandora's box right. archetype.
0: I'm reminded of the... Um... Late classical scholar uh, E.R. Dodds, uh, author of many important books. I love E.R. Dodds' One in particular, The Ancient Concept of Progress. And he's talking there about Sophocles and tragedy, and he says that uh, if it's not in the play, it doesn't exist. So Hmm. here's a criticism, or here's a principle of literary criticism. If it's not mentioned by the poet... It doesn't exist, yeah. and, and therefore you can't, as an audience member or a reader or a spectator, you can't criticize what didn't happen. What didn't happen. I okay. find that a very valuable and helpful way to approach something like this question. Why didn't Odysseus take this action? It's really an illegitimate question. It, I think mm-hmm. it's based on the false idea, the false notion that we thoroughly understand the narrative environments in which we're situated. Mm-hmm. And that's just not fair to ask of, of Odysseus, okay, a natural thing to do after this long interaction is to take a nap. <laughs> Isn't that natural? It's it's true to him as a character. It's
1: I, I suppose I, th- I th- you know, in the aftermath it reveals the kind of the innate distrust that there exists between Odysseus and his men. So there, yeah.
0: it drives the story in some sense.
1: Yeah, and so I think you could you could answer that illegitimate question of you know, why doesn't he tell his men is because he doesn't trust them and they don't trust him. And so he wouldn't even think to tell them what's in the bag. You know, Odysseus' men come off as as very simple yes. in many regards, right? Driven to kind of howling with, with terror, cowering in, in fear. You know, I could see why Odysseus, well, I'm not going to tell them uh, what's in the bag. Or you could also say he's not going to tell them what's in the bag because they wouldn't believe him anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. So, and in I, fact, it might provoke them to open it. Right. Or to explore. Yeah,
1: exactly right. So maybe
0: it's a better idea just not to tell them about the right. danger. He should have just
1: hidden the bag. Hid or used it bag. as a
0: pillow when he took his nap. <laughs> Once again, like a whoopee cushion. <laughs> But once again, Winkle, if the yeah. poet doesn't mention it, yeah. you can't legitimately criticize it, all the things that he could have done. Right? Yes, yeah. I like to say at this point, well, you know, Homer has a suggestion box, so you can, you know, you can leave a suggestion as to what he should have done.
1: That's kind of, okay, okay, it's, you're kind of a killjoy, though. You're taking a lot of the fun yeah. <laughs> out of exploring the poem. and, and uh, You're right, I'll
0: turn it. Endings, alternate realities.
1: I like that. that's a good anchor to to come back to, though.
0: You mean the Dodds quote? The Dodds
1: quote, right? Because without that, it could really kind of go, kind of go off the rails.
0: Definitely. Yeah. (laughs) So the winds do get out of the bag. They do. Okay. And what happens next?
1: Well, they they are blown back to Aulus's island, and so you know he returns to the checkout and he says, "Could you rebag these, please?" (laughs) And, And Aeolus says, "No." And actually, Aeolus is kind of he's terrified because he takes this as a sign that he says, "You must be amongst the most cursed." Of men.
0: Yes, I love Aeolus's cameo at the beginning of the Aeneid. Remind me of this. I'm not. I'm not oh, remembering well, that. Uh, Juno goes to him and says, "Can you destroy Aeneas's fleet? Oh yeah, yeah. And here I have this lovely nymph deopeia and uh, you can marry her and lead a you know standard Roman life, have lots of children. But Aeolus is vaunting himself in his empty caverns. Very memorable line. And uh, I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, great stuff. I don't know what it has to do with this episode <laughs> other than I really you're like just, it. You're a fan of
1: Aeolus. I am. Yeah. I think Aeolus, to his credit, he says, okay, you know, I'm, I'm no, this is some bad mojo happening here. Yeah. And I'm not a- dealing with it.
0: Anyone right. with that much bluster, I can relate to. <laughs>
1: Uh, and of course, Odysseus he um, he puts it all on his men. Let me just read from the Lombardo translation again. And so this is Odysseus. I, again, I find this, the layers of this so interesting. Is of course all of this happens when Odysseus is asleep, but he imagines his men saying something like this: "This guy gets everything wherever he goes. First, he's freighting home his loot from Troy, beautiful stuff. While we, who have made the same trip, are coming home empty-handed." And now Aeolus has lavished these gifts upon him. Let's have a quick look and see what's here, how much gold and silver is stuffed in this bag.
0: So yeah. this is all Odysseus imagining what his men say <laughs> exactly. before they open up the bag.
1: Right, right, right. And it's, it's so easy to read that and kind of take it as kind of a real-time narrative and say, oh, that's what his men said. But, of course, we have to always remember this is Odysseus as the last man standing the dishonest telling, one. The dishonest one telling this story. I mean, none of his men are, are, are around to say, hey, it didn't go like that. You know, somebody tripped and the whoopee cushion
0: went off. And, right, right. right. So who knows? Can't be held responsible. But these are questions we can't ask, right, because it's not in the text. Well, you can ask it. I just don't <laughs> think it's an especially fruitful line okay. of yeah. inquiry. Fair enough. Fair enough. Why yes. didn't he do X or Y? I don't know. It's not in the story. <laughs> a, you know, it's another story. So move it along. Move it along. Okay. All right. To all all the right. Lastragonians. To the Lastragonians. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: So this is the... The last adventure before we get to Circe's Island,
0: and it's a doublet. I understand of the Cyclops episode. That's the way I've always read it. So, right. in literary terms, what is a doublet? Is that something you wear to the fancy ball next to your rapier, or what is that? A, a doublet? Yeah, yes. it's, a, it's it's
1: something kind of like you wear on your neck. It's like a like tie a, it next to your cummerbund. Exactly right. It's it's very very fashionable. But in literary terms, what is a doublet? It's like another version of the same story. I don't say that as kind of a a subtle fact, but um, there's a lot of similarities between the Lystragonians and the Cyclops. They're cannibalistic. uh, They like to chuck rocks.
0: How do they feel about sheep and cheese?
1: Um, I don't think that comes out, but I think what's really interesting is that the Lycurgonians present themselves as much more civilized than the Cyclops. And I think that's a key part of the story. But I know that... They have smooth roads. They have smooth roads. they got wagons and they have houses
0: with with good roofs. Well-roofed houses. Well-roofed houses. Those would be asphalt shingles, I assume. Oh, absolutely, right? Or maybe even... uh, Corrugated copper. Oh, my gosh. Now you're yeah. talking well-roofed. Yes. That's right. Right,
1: right, right. right. With well, maybe like a 35-year guarantee.
0: Absolutely. Kind of yeah. So I think there's, there's some
1: theories that maybe at one point, this was one story, hmm. and it kind of split off into these two. But I think it works really nicely here, because um, you know, one of the questions we, at the beginning of this episode, asked, or we, we considered asking was, you know, does Odysseus learn anything? And so he comes to the island of the Lystragonians, and, you know, and having had this very uncivilized experience with the Cyclops... He's looking for certain things, and he sees these smooth roads. He sees evidence of wagon traffic, and yeah. these really nice roofs. He's saying, "Okay, now we're dealing with civilized people. Now, here's a place I could expect Zinnia." But he doesn't go to look for a gift, and not explicitly. Okay, right, right. it's not in the text, right? But I think he's he's on safer ground to to look for for help. And then we have um, this young woman who I, I, comes to get to to collect water. I see her as kind of a, um, like a false Nausicaa. And, and so there may be kind of a double of that scene. A lot of these scenes, I think we're supposed to read against the extreme hospitality on Phaeacia. Okay. And so these are kind of abominations
0: of all of that. So as, just to catch the audience up here, and make sure we're all together on yeah. this, as Odysseus, after the games, is recounting to Alcinous and Areté, the king and queen of the Phaeacians, and their daughter Nausicaea, he's recounting all of these wanderings. Yeah. And this interesting place faisha yeah. has received him with great zania great hospitality now he's telling these stories as part of a flashback the places that didn't receive him well
1: exactly right right and in some ways you know I, mean, this, I this you're probably gonna find this pushing it way too far I usually do right um, Is there gonna
0: be any complexity in this
1: <laughs> what have you seen the movie um the usual suspects no okay it involves this
0: Quentin Tarantino is he involved in that
1: he's not although it's very Tarantino. Tina Wee, <laughs> Yes. But involves I think this the term is Tarantinesque. Tarantinesque. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> but it involves this character who um, who tells this elaborate story um, with all of these kind of fantastical details. And to spoil the movie for for everybody who hasn't seen it, it they dis, they discover that he in the end, was just making up the whole thing and taking pieces of pictures that he saw on the wall behind the cops and stringing it together in this impromptu narrative.
0: Impressive!
1: It's it's great. Could this person be a guest host on the podcast? Oh man, it's Kevin Spacey, the uh. actor. He's kind of persona non grata yeah, right now. Yeah, he's out. He's out. But could we see Odysseus here as a as a kind of Kaiser Soze? That's the character. Mm. Um, kind of making things up to kind of flatter the Phaeacians by telling them about similar places that take their values and twist them in, a, in, a, in an awful kind of way. I don't know.
0: Fascinating. So
1: it, 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 this idea that um, you know, Odysseus is kind of, he's made up all of this.
0: None of this is true. Hmm. So Odysseus doesn't seek hospitality from the Lastragonians, despite the appearance of civilization?
1: Right. It and, got, they kind of get sucked in. Okay. Um, and then the Lastragonians
0: attack. And what happens to uh, his fleet? It's
1: decimated. It's absolutely in this scene. The vast majority, uh, Homer's not specific with numbers, but uh, in terms of like numbers of his men, I think the idea is that most of them are killed here.
0: He uh, has twelve ships. Is that right? Twelve ships coming in, and how many of them leave? Uh, one. Just one ship is okay. left. It's
1: just one. It just his own ship is hidden around a cove. The rest are sunk. Um, Homer describes the Lystragonians spearing his men like fish. Yeah. And they escape by the, the skin of their teeth.
0: So just to be pedantic for a moment, which yeah. actually is one of my specialties, <laughs> this is a good use of the term decimate because only one out of ten of the ships survives. That's right. A little bit more than one out of ten. Yes, exactly right. proper use. Exactly right. So yeah. what's coming up after the break?
1: After the break, we're going to finally get to Circe's Island and, and all the crazy things that happen there.
0: We're going to meet the lovely magical witch. Yes. All right. Today's
1: episode is brought to you by the good people at Ad Astra Coffee Roasters of Hillsdale, Michigan. To the stars with great coffee.
0: Jeff Patrick and his crew there in South Central Michigan, they really know how to roast those beans.
1: That's right, Dave. The poetry series featuring Wallace Stevens, Rainer Maria Rilke, and William Wordsworth, plus Lajas Microlot and Tenebris, these are extraordinary blends.
0: Yeah, and not easy to say There's oh, exactly. some difficult <laughs> Texas. <texting>. That's right. <laughs> Listeners, if you haven't checked out their website, you should just go take a look. It explains how they use an old-fashioned method of roasting with a giant repurposed roaster and it explains where they source these beans. It's a really well-done presentation.
1: Right. And they they also only roast coffee that ranks 84 or higher on the 100-point coffee grading scale. So See, I, I I didn't even know there
0: was a coffee grading scale. I mean 84 sounds like a B minus? No, maybe? no, it's closer to a B. A B? But I think I'm probably a little bit tougher of a grader. Uh, I didn't know coffee could be graded. That's good. I mean, a B coffee, that's well above average. Yes, absolutely. And that's the minimum of what they select. Yes. So listen up, Adnazaglotz. Go to adastraroasters.com, A-D-A-S-T-R-A, roasters.com, and check out some of their delicious offerings. You get a special 10% off by entering coupon code A-N-A-A, and you can also sign up for their monthly subscription.
1: Ratio Coffee, ladies and gentlemen. Listen closely, please. Mark Helwig and his team in Portland, Oregon, have solved your aesthetic and brew-based problems. Why spend 4 to $6 on coffee purchased in some drive through when you can brew, get this, better coffee at home? The Ratio 6 and its big brother, the eight beautiful automatic pour-over machines that consistently brew the finest
0: java. You want to check this out. That's right, Jeff. The Ratio sends 200-degree Fahrenheit water soaring through its metallic veins. There is no plastic in this creature. Down into the cone filled with freshly ground adastra beans. It then sits in the bloom stage for a few minutes, allowing all of the harsh CO2 to float lazily off into the biosphere. Then it is deposited in the hand-blown borosilicate glass or stainless steel carafe. No bitterness, no burned flavor, just consistent sweet coffee.
1: So listen up, coffee files. Go to RatioCoffee.com right now and get a 15% exclusive discount on the Ratio 6. Enter special code A-N-C-O for 15% off the Ratio 6. A-N-C-O, RatioCoffee.com.
0: Check it out. This episode of Ad Nauseam is also brought to you by Hackett Publishing. Since 1972, Hackett has been setting the standard for affordable, high-quality translations in the field of classics and many other areas of the humanities. Jeff, what do you like about the large assortment of books Hackett has to offer?
1: Hackett's growing list includes hundreds of titles covering ancient history, literature, philosophy, political science, and classical language study. Hackett editions are ideal for both classroom use and general readership, offering affordable modern translations and editions of classic works with helpful scholarly notes, annotations, and introductions. What do you like?
0: Jeff, I am very enamored of the Lingua Latina Per Se Illustrata series for Latin, Mm -hmm. written by the late Danishman, the late Dane, Hans Orberg. We're going to do an episode at some point Comparing different Latin curricula. It's going to be a big one. And, yes. spoiler alert, LLPSI, Lingua Latina, Se Estrada, in my mind, takes the palm of victory. Oh, okay, so what special offers do we have for our AN friends? Listen up, we have 20% off any order and free shipping from Hackett Publishing. All you have to do is go to Hackett, H A C K E T T, HackettPublishing.com, find the text you want, enter coupon code AN2021 in the box which asks for the coupon code.
1: Great deal. Don't hesitate. Check out HackettPublishing.com today. All right, so now. Odysseus and his men wind up on the island of Aiaia.
0: What is that again? Ayaya. How many vowels are in there?
1: There We got, well, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. How many consonants? Uh, there's none. None? No. So you don't need to buy a vowel. They've all been purchased. <laughs> it's ayaya. Aiaia. Okay. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah.
0: Um, and so this is the island where we meet the witch slash goddess Circe. So I'm going to read a little bit of the Greek there. This is book 10, lines 135 and following. And this is the moment when we meet Circe. Let's hear it. Ayayen desnesena fi comethenthadenae. Kirke eu placamos de ne the os au deessa. Ao toca sig ne te alla etao. Amfo den fa esimbro to e elio. I had trouble with that one. Matras tec perses teno keanos tecapaida.
1: Right, excellent. Uh, this roughly, not roughly, the Lombardo translate this as a dread goddess with richly coiled hair and a human voice. She is the sister of dark-haired Aetes, and they are both sprung from Helios and Perse, daughter of
0: Ocean. Ah, so she is, as the listener heard, she is euplakamos. Yes. Which means nicely haired. Nicely haired. Remind you of someone? It reminds me of uh, a, a calypso, yes. Right? yes, in a previous episode. Remember when we went on that long tangent about hair care products? Oh, I remember it very well. I think the audience loved that. Oh, they loved it. Should we reprise that? I think
1: we could do another 12 minutes on. Okay.
0: (laughs) Now, these names, these individuals, we've got uh, dark haired Aietes. Mm -hmm. She's the sister of dark haired Aietes. And Aietes, if I'm not mistaken, is the father of Medea. Yes, king of Colchis. Yes.
1: uh, Features. Importantly, in the story of uh,
0: Jason, yes, with the golden fleece. Mm-hmm. So this would make Circe, Medea's aunt. That's right. This would be Auntie Circe, right? And who are Helios and Percy? Uh,
1: Helios is the is the god of the of the sun, uh, who we'll be talking about uh, in when we cover Book Twelve. Okay. Uh, Percy, I'm
0: I'm blanking on who Percy is, and um, I think Percy is a Titaness. Is that right? Or maybe a nymph. Seems like there was always a nymph around if there needed to be a hero born or something like that. Uh, And Percy is the daughter of Ocean. Daughter of Ocean, yes.
1: Yeah, so that would make sense that she would be... uh... A water nymph for a naiad, right?
0: Right. The point here is that Cersei has a lot of divine blood flowing through her veins. Exactly right.
1: Yeah, and if I can plug the uh, Madeline Miller's book, are uh, you getting paid to do so? I, I wish I was, uh, <laughs> but it's it, it's such a it's such a such a wonderful novel. Is so Miller uh, kind of makes much of of how Cersei is kind of this almost unwanted a Kind of runt of the litter okay. amongst the gods, and she doesn't really have a place amongst the gods. And and uh, I mean, long story short, there's lots of details about. It. She winds up exiled on Iaya, uh, where she's alone, and she doesn't. And this place is kind of one of these liminal, these liminal places where it's it's between the human world and uh, and the world of the gods. And Cersei is forced there to uh, practice her
0: magic and learn her craft alone. Is there a montage in the story of how she becomes a witch? Is there like a montage scene? running up the steps in Philadelphia, drinking lots of uh, raw eggs, raw eggs yes. and punching, you know, hanging beef and such. Is there—is there that in the novel? With kind of a punchy soundtrack underneath it? Right. Oh, that'd be perfect. Something from Survivor. Ooh. I haven't... Uh, it is Survivor, isn't it? The, the, oh, the, the band the Survivor? Band. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Right, yeah. I haven't read the novel, but you like it quite a bit. Yes. And it's presentation of Circe here.
1: Yeah, but I think it's actually, it's lacking kind of a an 80s action movie montage. No you can use one, right? Like when okay. she's, see her, uh, you know, mixing up the, 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 the various pharmaca and, right. and not succeeding at first, but then getting it right and the music builds and then she's, yeah, uh, Now she's the
0: Circe we know. Exactly she's right. She's ready to meet She's ready Odysseus. to meet Odysseus. What <laughs> does her name mean? There's an etymology behind most words, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Right. So Circe, Circe, in um, in the ancient pronunciation, uh, means something like a falcon or hawk. Mm-hmm. Right. I think Miller kind of calls attention to this, that kind of her, her bird-like uh, appearance is one of the reasons that the gods kind of reject her. She's not as attractive as the other gods. She's got kind of a long nose.
0: Birds aren't attractive?
1: Uh, well, uh, you don't want to—maybe bird-like isn't— Something that every woman would like to be described as? One I- of
0: my children, when uh, he or she was very young, said, Daddy, I don't like birds. We were on a walk. And I said, why not? They don't have people faces. Yes. Yeah. I guess other mammals, you can imagine they're persons. Yes. But birds, not a lot of stuffed animals shaped like birds, that- except maybe the flightless penguin. That <laughs> That's
1: true. Yeah, penguins are huge in the, the stuffed animal world. Well, they
0: are, and they're, you know, a little bit portly, so that makes them cuddly. Yeah, exactly. But, but you really can't cuddle up to a raven or a crow. No.
1: My, my wife, uh, Becky, is, is in the same camp. She finds birds inherently creepy.
0: Off-putting. Off-putting, right. Maybe that's why Circe is somewhat of a villainess in this episode. It's possible. She's bird-like.
1: Right. No, the, the, her name could also be related to the, um, the Greek verb uh, kirkou, which means to... S- sing kind of a, a a looping song, a repetitive song, a kind of binding like song. Like pop right? music. Like pop music, exactly right. Um, repetitive chorus, but here, you uh, know, there's lots of links between singing and music and, and magic. Uh, if you think about like Orpheus and the, the power of okay. his song, that that also her name also may, might reflect her her. Um, her skill
0: in, okay. in magic, yeah. So, what about the interaction between her and Odysseus here? How do things get started?
1: Well, um, again, Ad- Odysseus um, maybe having learned his lesson, he's uh, he's looking for evidence of civilization, and um, they notice that there's a, a house with smoke curling up from its roof. Mm. So maybe some signs of civilization, but they just mm-hmm. came from, you know, a, a place with smooth roads and wagons and well in well roofed
0: houses. But this is in the middle of the wilderness, isn't it? the last homely house. I mean, Circe's house is is not part of a larger settlement. No, this is one house. It's one house. And
1: and an abandoned, otherwise abandoned island,
0: yeah. At the end of a lonely road, it could be made of gingerbread, and it could be an oven on the inside. Exactly,
1: this very honsolent Gretel, right. So Odysseus, um, and let me know what you think of this. So Odysseus uh, decides to um, send some of his men down to reconnoiter, Hmm. but he doesn't go
0: himself. Well, these would be the guys in the red shirts, right? (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) Odysseus' men are, are there to be... To be offed yeah, to some degree, right?
0: Phaser fodder, right? I, I'm not a big trekkie. I'm not even a little trekkie. No, me either. But the guys in the red shirts, you know, they're quite disposable. Yes. Expendable. Exactly right. And right. Odysseus sends them down. Go check out that house. <laughs> exactly. Probably right. not dangerous.
1: Right. So in Star Trek, when when Spock and Bones and Ensign Johnson are beamed out of the planet, <laughs> guess who's not coming back? Ensign Johnson. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> So and of course uh, his men are terrified at this point and with, with good reason, uh, right? They've seen what's happened to all the ships and all the, their comrades. They're terrified to go down there. But it is he says, no, 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 you go. And so
0: what and do you they're think compelled of, to. They are compelled to comply.
1: They're compelled to comply. Is it, I mean, how do you take this? Is this is the privilege of the general? The general doesn't go into battle. He's the strategist. Or is Odysseus a coward here for not going himself?
0: You send the pawns first.
1: Send the pawns first? That's just Absolutely. The, that's the rules of the game. The,
0: the queen, the king doesn't come out. The pawns go first. And I'm sorry, but this is just, I'm not really sorry, but <laughs> this is just the aristocratic world that Homer presents. Right. Not all people uh, are of equal value when it yeah. comes to approaching the house of Circe. Right. I feel bad for them. I honestly do, because uh, I am I don't have any heroic blood flowing through my veins like Odysseus. So, were I in that spot, I would be Ensign Johnson. <laughs> but it's not a threat to the quality of the story.
1: Okay, all right. Yeah. You with me on that? I'm with you on that. Okay. Yes, exactly. Right. I just I call attention to that again. It's one of the things that my students will often pick up on. I said, look, this this guy's a, this guy's a jerk.
0: That's because they're probably like most of us living in a democracy, egalitarian, exactly. right? Of course, right. We're bringing all our own stuff with us right. to the story, right? Can I just zero in on this a moment, please? They're probably very happy. Odysseus' men, when Odysseus is the one who faces the danger, Mm. he's the guy in the cave who has to figure everything out. Yes. So their, their health and safety depends on him at the moment of crisis and so forth. So it's kind of paybacks. Now they have to go do their duty. Gotcha. Gotcha. Still doesn't sit entirely well.
1: Yeah. No, I, I hear you though. But I, I mean, I like one of the things that we're doing here is where we're kind of reading these adventures against each other. And I think mm-hmm. we're we're meant to see that and not cheating them as the kind of these isolated events. And so I think, the you know, the Cyclops, the Lestergonians, it all kinds of builds upon each other. And, and I like how Homer calls to attention that his, his men are getting more and more terrified. Mm. Uh, it's very human.
0: And there's some porkifying coming. And there's up, right? some
1: big time porkifying coming. So um, his men, led uh, by Eurilicus, one of the few named uh, members of Odysseus' crew, they go down there. And Circe sees these chumps coming, um, and we see her kind of surrounded uh, on the on the um, the stoa of her of her mansion. Our Foxes and wolves, and I think we're meant to imagine that these are other previous chumps. visitors. Exactly that that wound up on our shore, and so she mm. sees them. She mixes them, you know, under the guise, under the deception of hospitality. She mixes them, mixes them up, uh, a drink, and they drink it, and they all turn into pigs.
0: So she's slowly building her own menagerie. Yes, wasn't there some bad movie, Iona a Zoo, something like that? I
1: oh yeah, uh, Matt Damon. I never and, saw uh, it.
0: Scarlett Johansson. Okay. Yeah, I always love a good zoo movie. Typically, I really? mean, is
1: that the, well, is that the, a genre? Is that a yeah, subgenre? the, the
0: plot <laughs> possibilities are endless, right? The animals are in the cage. What's coming next? <laughs> animals are out of the cage. Can we get them back in the cage? Right. It's a zoo movie. Did so you, I
1: think you've just described every zoo movie, zoo movie ever made.
0: <laughs> it wasn't difficult. <laughs> Who doesn't love a so? So you own a zoo. I can't remember the name, but in any event, this
1: we, is yeah. We we own, we own a zoo. It, it's a terrible title. It is. Yeah, you yeah. should
0: too. <laughs> so this this is what she's doing. She's slowly building this menagerie based on unsuspecting visitors. Right. Does Eurylochus get turned into a pig? He does not.
1: He's, he he kind of hangs back because he kind of he he smells what's coming, and he gets out of there. So he he, he runs back to the ship to tell Odysseus what uh, what happens. Hmm. And he says, "Let's get out of here." I mean, at this point, Eurylochus is say, "You know, forget the the pig guys, death trap. Let's get out of here. It doesn't matter. They're lost. Let's go." But of course, Titius says, "Hmm, this sounds
0: interesting." And is this because he loves his men and wants to rescue them from a, a life of swinish behavior?
1: I don't think so. I think if, if he's if just if, curious, he's curious. If his men get saved, well, so much the better. But I don't think that's why he says, "Well, I'll go down there and and save the day."
0: Is this the origin of the phrase "curiosity killed the pig"? <laughs>
1: I think it might be. Okay. Right? Yeah. And then later it's transferred to the cat, somewhere right. down the line, right? Um, so, yeah, I think it's just, it taps into that curiosity. So, again, I think, you know, if you're paying attention to the Cyclops scene, to the Lystragonians, okay, what is Odysseus potentially going to fall into here? Is his curiosity going to... Um, you know, be uh, not the end of him. We know he's going to survive, but what kind of horrible thing is going to happen next?
0: And now we get the deus ex machina.
1: Yes, exactly. Someone
0: appears. And yes. it is? It is Hermes. Hermes.
1: Right. And what does he come down and, and, uh, and offer a offer? Well, he has
0: some kind of apothecary knowledge, right? Yes. He just uh, got off a shift at Walgreens or CVS. <laughs> yes. And he brings with him something called moly. Moly. Yes, some kind of magic plant. Nobody knows exactly what it is. No. No. Now I think that it's also a, a chocolate, an unsweetened chocolate drink. Mo- yes, mole. Mole. Yes, exactly right. That's very popular in Mexico. Exactly,
1: it's kind of a it's a it's a, it's often in a sauce. Right. It's yes.
0: Delicious. Very delicious. But I don't think there's any connection. Although when I was first reading Homer, I was wondering, is there any connection here?
1: Right. Right. But I don't this, think so either. But um, nobody really knows what this magic plant is.
0: No, right. a lot of uh, speculation. But it somehow pre uh, prevents him from falling under Circe's spell.
1: Right, so Circe kind of, she is a, a, a witch that uses the pharmakea,
0: if you remember, we talked
1: about like with Helen, right? Down
0: on the pharmaca,
1: Down as, on the ph- as, as, as you them. entitled it. <laughs> That's right, and so in some ways Hermes says, let's use kind of her own specialty against her. And so it's plant magic, right? And so uh, let me just read from Lombardo's translation again. Hermes says to Odysseus, take this herb, the mole, uh, with you when you go to Circe, and it will protect you from her deadly tricks. She'll mix a potion and spike it with drugs, but she won't be able to cast her spell because you'll have a charm that works just as well, the one I'll give you, and you'll be forewarned. When Susie strikes you with her magic wand, draw your sharp sword from beside your thigh and rush at her with murder in your eye. She'll be afraid to invite you to bed.
0: She'll be afraid.
1: Uh, she'll be afraid and invite you to bed in, 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 instead. Don't turn her down. That's how you'll get your comrades freed and yourself well-loved.
0: Hmm. That's so, some odd advice altogether.
1: It is, but it ends up working, right? So yeah. I, I think what's going on here is that he says you not only need to diffuse her her uh, plant magic, her, mm-hmm. her, her magic wand, she says, but also it's the... Um, you need to seduce her somehow. To, you need, exactly to right. To bring
0: her under your power.
1: Exactly right, because the power of the bedroom. Uh, the power of sex is also something that is very common with female witches as well. Yeah. So, so we got
0: to tread lightly here. We do.
1: Family show. Exactly. But we go
0: where the text takes us.
1: Exactly. right. So Cersei has, it, she has more than one trick up her sleeve. Hmm. Yep. And does this work? It does work. Right. So uh, Odysseus does exactly as Hermes advises. Uh, the wand doesn't work. Uh, he Odysseus threatens Cersei with a sword and makes her promise that she won't use any of her other, her charms and her magic on him
0: uh, to bring him down. And then Circe realizes who he is. Yes. And that there was a prophecy. The gods have been setting the stage once again. Hermes has prophesied Odysseus's arrival, and now they begin a romance. Exactly right, which lasts for a full year. At the end of which, Odysseus convinces Circe to turn his men from pigs back into men.
1: Yes, that's right. And um, he goes back to the ship where um, some of his men are still waiting and he They've tells, been waiting for a year? Well, no, it's not quite a This is still at the beginning of this, right? Okay. So the long period of time has yet to come. But he tells, hey, everything's cool at Cersei's house. Come on down. There's food. There's drink. And one of these details that I really love is Eurylochus, that same guy that escaped the first time, again, he, he speaks up and, and really stands up to Odysseus. And again, Lombardo's translation, he says, says to, the, to the men, why do you want to do this to yourselves? Go down to Cersei's house. She will turn you all into pigs, wolves, and lions and make you guard her house. Remember what the Cyclops did when our shipmates went into his lair? It was this reckless Odysseus who led them there. It was his fault they died.
0: Huh, this is great. So Homer has one of uh, Odysseus's men criticize Odysseus yeah. for every uh, wrong turn of, right. of the last few books. Right. And I think there's
1: uh, there's lots of reasons to think that Eurylochus is pretty much on the money here. Absolutely. Right. And so Odysseus, he, he, he thinks about drawing his sword in that moment and chopping Eurylochus' head off. So why didn't he? Uh, he's, he's talked out of it. One of the other men speaks up and just says, hey, let's, come on. There's, this, there's, this
0: would be unfair? Un, this is, this,
1: let's, let's put this aside. There's a party going on. Let's go.
0: It's not very heroic of Odysseus not to kill him. So you would have preferred a... Well, I don't know about my preference. (laughs) I didn't write the story, but Achilles would have killed him. Yes. Would have dispatched him in a moment. But Odysseus is a different kind of hero. Okay. But remember how Odysseus acts in Iliad book two, when Thersites, a nobody, sort of uh, leaves his station and starts telling the men they should just quit the plain of Troy. Agamemnon is a coward and let's take matters into our own hands. Odysseus takes up his staff and beats him soundly.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. So maybe at least maybe kind of a, a beatdown here for Eurylicus. Maybe not. Maybe not a, a a beheading.
0: Yeah, not an execution. Okay.
1: Yeah, but we, well, at any rate, we don't get anything like that. No. And Meanwhile, so they,
0: back at the party, they
1: go, back, they go down to Circe's house, and, and now it's nothing but fleecy garments and oily rubdowns, uh, as as far as the eye can see, and so and this goes on day after day. For a year, and for a year,
0: feasting, drinking. Yes,
1: and Odysseus is is living as Circe's lover this whole as
0: time. a as a false suitor.
1: I would well, I I, I think that again, um, reading these scenes against each other um, and kind of thinking about what's happening on Ithaca, I think this is all very deliberate on on Homer's part.
0: So, so Penelope is at home suffering, yes, because the suitors are trying to get her hand in marriage, right? And Odysseus is just we see, wasting time.
1: Well, yeah, we see a similar kind of scene. You know, all the men are kind of you know eating. And drinking everything that Circe has to offer. I mean, one of Circe's tragedies is that, and maybe this is reading into the text, but she's fallen for Odysseus, but she uh,
0: can never have him as is a husband. Is this the, the storyline that Madeline Miller picks? She up?
1: delves into that quite deeply. That part okay. of Circe's tragedy is that she can never really have what she needs or what she wants. She's kind of doomed to be alone. And um, so, I think this is kind of uh, again to overuse that word doublet.
0: Yes, I was uh, thinking of that
1: of what's happening on on Ithaca. And so finally, his men finally speak up and say, "Hey, listen, you know, aren't we supposed to be getting back home? As wonderful as this is," and so Odysseus reluctantly says, "Okay, we'll, we'll go." And he goes to to Circe and and more or less kind of asks her permission to leave, which I think is also kind of a striking element in, in the in the story. Odysseus well,
0: presumably say, she could exert more magical influence and prevent it.
1: I guess so. It depends on how much moldy he has left in the bag. That's true. Right. And and this is where she tells him. Um, She lets him go, and she tells him that, okay, um, but it's not a straight shot back to Ithaca. No. You have to go to uh, the underworld.
0: Yeah, let me read that part. Yeah, please. She says, son of Laertes, in the line of Zeus, my wily Odysseus, you need not stay here in my house any longer than you wish. But there is another journey you must make first, to the house of Hades and a dread Persephone, to consult the ghost of Theban Tiresias, the blind prophet whose mind is still strong to him alone persephone has granted intelligence even after his death the rest of the dead are flitting shadows
1: so this is the this is in some ways for a hero the ultimate journey this yes. is the, what the Greeks call the katabasis you're going to have to
0: go down yep take the elevator all the way to the bottom floor right and this is Book Eleven. This which is Book we're Eleven. Cover not next week, next week, but, in but a couple weeks, two weeks from yes. now. Yep. But there's one more element here in Book Ten, which is significant, and that is the death of one of Odysseus's men. Yes. A man named Elpenor.
1: Elpenor, who Odysseus describes as not much of a warrior and not all that smart. Was he? It, is he on the top of Circe's house? Something like that. He's on the roof, and he falls asleep fetching a frisbee or something
0: like that. <laughs> exactly. Right. Right. What he, he falls asleep and falls off. Falls off and breaks his neck, and is just laying there in the bushes. Right. He shows up again. He's very important in book 11. He, we won't say exactly how. Right. But he's left there dead. Dead to... Come. And they all leave not knowing that he's dead in the bushes. Dead in the bushes and nobody seems to notice that Elpinor's not around. Yeah, where's Elpinor? Where's,
1: nobody see, nobody thinks to
0: ask. That's pretty sad. So right. Cersei leaves them a ram yes. and a black ewe by their ship uh, without anyone noticing, I, I love this little detail. Is that it, again, It's not like Calypso, where Calypso, you know, she threw a fit. This is not fair. You know, I, why should you know? Why should a be taken from me? And she also had lovely hair. We might mention. Well, but so sort did of Cersei. That's what I'm saying. Also, oh, in addition oh, to Cersei. See. Yes. Okay. But got, this lovely-haired witch goddess, she yeah. behaves quite differently. She does,
1: and she. I love this little wonderful detail. Is that um, you know, she tells him that to contact the ghosts in the underworld, you're going to need to make this specific sacrifice. She puts these animals by the ship. And she just kind of drifts away without them even noticing. She leaves this
0: gift and she lets him go. Huh. Yeah. Well, that just about finishes up this episode. We got to get out of here. The Grand Rapids Euchre Club is coming in for card night. Euchre. Yeah, you know Euchre, right? Yeah. The Midwest phenomenon. Yes, exactly. Turn right. down a bower, lose for an hour. That's right. Farmer's oh, the... hand. Yeah, those guys get rowdy. Oh, they do get really rowdy. Yeah, so we, we got we got to get out. We better get out of here. So yes. we want to say a big thank you to our sound engineer, Miss Mishka Fernando. Yes, thank you, Mishka. You put all this together so wonderfully. We've gotten some great uh, viewer mail recently, or yeah. listener mail. Yes. And if you would like to be a part of the uh, ad nauseum empire you can send email to jeff at ad nauseum.com don't forget the v or to dave at ad nauseum.com we'd love to hear from you Uh, show ideas objections complaints quarrels compliments anything you want yes check out the website we do occasionally update it that's ad nauseum.com and don't forget to leave a review
1: on the platform of your choice. It really helps to get our podcast in front of more eyes and ears and raises
0: our profile. Uh, now, Dave, what are we talking about next week? Next week, we have a special guest. Yes. We have Dr. Susan Wise Bauer. And she is a famous pedagogue. She's written a number of really interesting books, uh, most notably The Well-Trained Mind. And Susan is going to be talking to us about the uses of history. Does history have a use? Fantastic. That's the subject. I've often wondered. Yeah, that's the (laughs) subject we'll be exploring. So be sure to tune in. And I believe, Jeff, you get the gustatory parting shot, don't you? I do. This comes from the inimitable Jim Gaffigan,
1: who once famously said, Bacon bits are like the fairy dust of the food community. Don't care for this salad? Bibbidi-bobbidi-bacon. Now it's your favorite part of the meal.
0: Thanks for listening.
1: Thank you.